Hello, and welcome to Year Round Madness, the college basketball podcast that's part of the Total Sports 24-7 network. This is Chris Hayes, the host and producer for this podcast and all podcasts across the Total Sports 24-7 network. You can find our podcast at totalsports247.podbean.com. Podbean is my podcast publisher. You can also find us on most major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and a whole host of others. You can follow us on X at totalsports underscore 247 as well for sports content throughout the week and please consider subscribing to my Substack. It's called Week In, Week Out, and you can find it at weekinweekout.substack.com. So far, we've put out newsletters that are primarily centered around college basketball, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We put out a newsletter yesterday talking about five teams that have disappointed thus far. Today, we're going to put out the second piece of that, And it's the converse, five teams that have impressed us so far in the young season. And speaking of five, we have five games to talk about tonight. We've got the Gavit games and the Champions Classic. These are five critical matchups for these 10 teams early in the season. I don't know if they'll all count as quad one games, but I have to imagine that they will by the end of the season. So we're going to go in order by tip-off. So we'll intersperse essentially the Champions Classic in with the Gavit game. So first up, this is at 6 o'clock on FS1. This is Wisconsin at Providence. And as we talk about these games, I'm going to give you the current lines over on DraftKings. We have Wisconsin favored at Providence one and a half, and it's minus 108. And the over-under on this game is 143.5. So let's start with the Friars. This is their first real test. They've had two by-game victories. They certainly do have an identity. If you follow Providence basketball, you likely know what that identity is. They are out there to outwork, to outmuscle, and out-hustle you. And they're they're they've been okay so far in this season, but not really shooting all that well. The threes are not falling for them early in the season, so that could be a concern heading into tonight. Fortunately, the game is at home, which I think will help them. If you're familiar, again, with Providence basketball, their crowd tends to show up. Even though this is a 6 o'clock tip, they do get a lot of support from the city itself, and the student body is into basketball, and they're into sports in general there. The basketball and hockey are the two major sports there in Providence, but they uh, certainly support the basketball team. So I expect, uh, especially with a brand like Wisconsin coming in, it's not often that you see that kind of game in that arena. So I would expect a full house, and that should help the Friars. Uh, The interesting thing about Providence is they've got this top 50 recruit that it feels like they're trying to work in. His name is Garway Duall. He got 24 minutes off the bench in their second game against Milwaukee, and he had a very good game. 14 points, four assists, three steals, and two blocks. And he actually went three of four from beyond the arc. And again, that's not an area that Providence has succeeded in so far this year. They're not making their shots. So, I'm curious with Duol, what will his playing time look like throughout the season? 
But more importantly for this game, how many minutes is he going to get? Is this something where they gave him minutes because it was against Milwaukee and they wanted to get him some playing time? Or do they think he's a serious part of their regular rotation? I'm hoping it's the latter. And I think this performance, to me, indicates that he should get you know those 24 minutes a game. Now the question becomes, though, for Providence, who is going to be their go-to scorer, especially in a close game? They had five double-digit scorers in their game against Milwaukee, and they have eight guys on their team so far, averaging six and a half points in double-digit minutes. So it's one of those things where it's like a blessing and a curse. It's like there's so many guys who could score, but who's going to be the guy who will score in late game situations. I'm not sure who it will be. I have a feeling as to who it should be, and I'll get to that towards the end here. They do have good size on the front line, which I think will help in this matchup. Bryce Hopkins is 6'7", 220. Josh Adoro, 6'9", 240. They're each averaging nine rebounds per game in the early going here. And they've got Rafael Castro off the bench, who has been a rebounding machine. He's getting five boards a game in just 11 minutes. He's 6'11". I think this team could be better offensively if they focused less on the three-point shot and really tried to take it to teams along the interior. And... That kind of play centers around how they use Bryce Hopkins, right? If they pulled him away from the perimeter and kind of molded him more into a player like someone like a KJ Adams on Kansas, then I think he could thrive in this offense. Half of his shots this year so far are three-pointers. It's way too many. He's shooting them at an 18% clip. And even if that's you know, somewhere in the range of 30%, it's still too many in terms of an overall allocation of his shots. I think they've got to be a little bit smarter with their shot selection and play to Hopkins' strengths a little bit more, which is not the three-point line. They're playing well defensively so far this year. They've got 10.5 steals and nine blocks on the young season, but they're averaging 15 turnovers a game. Wisconsin, on the other hand, isn't really turning teams over. At least they haven't so far. So that'll be an interesting storyline. Can Providence protect the ball against a team that has not shown an ability to turn teams over just yet? But there could be a reason for that, and we'll get to that with Wisconsin. So again, Hopkins, I think he's got to limit his threes. And his turnovers and become more of a presence on the interior and let the perimeter players like Devin Carter take over from the outside. We think Carter has the goods to be a more willing scorer, a more capable scorer, and that go-to guy in clutch situations. We nominate Devin Carter officially to be that guy for Providence. We'll see if that's the case throughout the year, but we think he's the prime candidate for that. So on the other side with Wisconsin, they're one and one on the young season. They had a tough loss to Tennessee at home. They lost 80 to 70. So some bright spots in this game, but some areas of concern. Putting up 70 is no small feat against a top-ranked defense like Tennessee, but they let up 80 points. And again, they couldn't really turn the ball over. They got they got they managed 10 against Tennessee, but they're going to have to do better than that against Providence in order to take this one. They have a very tough schedule moving forward. This is just one in a sequence of many games for Wisconsin that are 
toss-ups, so to speak. They get Virginia as part of the Fort Myers Classic, and it's kind of rough for Wisconsin, I mean, and Virginia too, that they have to play each other. The other side of this four-team MTE is West Virginia and SMU. And I think that either Wisconsin or Virginia would be favored against either one of those teams. I think SMU is okay. I don't know if West Virginia is. So a little bit of a tough draw to get Virginia first. It'd be nice to have a game under your belt, get a win, and then move on to play Virginia, but that's not going to happen. They also get Marquette at home. Then they have to go to Michigan State, and then they have to go to Arizona. So certainly a very challenging schedule out the gate here for Wisconsin. As I said, they were able to get 70 points against that stifling Tennessee defense. And so far with Wisconsin, this is, I don't know, this is, I think, a symptom of early sample size. They're playing at a much faster pace than you would anticipate Wisconsin plays at, right? Wisconsin, if you're, even casual fans know that Wisconsin's a slow team, right? They're slow in everything. They're slow in football. They're slow in basketball. Last year, they were 337th in NCAA and adjusted tempo. This year, in their first two games, they're at 56th. So that's certainly not what we're accustomed to seeing from a Badger team. And is that an indication of a conscious effort to speed up tempo? Or is that just a symptom of who they've played in the first two games? To me, it could be a little bit more the latter. To me, it's a little surprising that they have this high a tempo when they've played a team like Tennessee. So that's another interesting storyline to watch in this one. How quickly does Wisconsin play against a team like Providence? Who likely wants to slow tempo down? As we look at this Wisconsin roster, Tyler Wall, his play is very concerning. If you subscribe to my Substack, again, weekendweekout.substack.com, I did put out a free article with my uh, top uh, 15, oh, sorry, my top 30, 30 uh, to 16, the first half of that. And we had Wisconsin number 24 in our preseason rankings at Total Sports 24-7. We had them that high, just inside the top 25, because we felt like Tyler Wall had room to take a considerable leap this year. We were pretty dissatisfied with his play last year, and we were looking for a bounce-back year from him, and we are just not seeing it right now. He's not playing particularly aggressively on the offensive end. This is almost almost an exaggeration, but almost not. To me, he's reminding me like a Ben Simmons at this point. He is two for eight from the free throw line to start the year. We are very concerned that his inability to shoot free throws is going to affect the rest of his game and turn him into a passive offensive player and one that can be ignored. Like he's never been a good free throw shooter anyway, right? He's, he shot 63.4% from the free throw line last year. So it's not as if he's unaccustomed to missing free throws, if we're being quite honest. But two for eight to start the year 
and his shot his shot numbers are down. He hasn't taken a three in two games so far. We're, we're kind of okay with that. But if it's continued reticence on the offensive end, if, if this is something that happens throughout the year, that does not spell good news for Wisconsin. He's got six turnovers in two games, too. He's only playing 23 and a half minutes a game. His play has to, it has to go up tremendously for Wisconsin to compete for, say, a top eight seed in the NCAA tournament. If he continues to play like this, they're going to be a bubble team, if I'm being quite frank. He's got to step it up. What we do like from the Badgers thus far is the play of Chucky Hepburn. He's so solid, so consistent. He's off to a good start. He needs to continue to lead the team. So what's the pick for this game? We like the under, 143 and a half. We think that Wisconsin will fall back to its familiar ways and try to slow down tempo. We think that matches what Providence will want to do as well. We think that's the best way for Wisconsin to try to win this game is to get into a little bit of a fight with Providence, even though that's the way Providence wants to play. So we like under 143 and a half. We think that is somewhat high. We could see this game being played in the 60s and that's our first play under 143 and a half, 143 and a half, excuse me, for uh, Wisconsin at Providence. Our second game takes place in Chicago. This is the first game in the Champions Classic, Duke and Michigan State. This tips off right around seven. It's probably be a slightly later start than seven on ESPN. The current odds on DraftKings are Duke minus four and over under is 142. So we'll start with Duke. They had a tough loss to Arizona at home, but there are some silver linings from that loss. First of all, it's not going to hurt them like long-term in terms of like seeding or positioning for the NCAA tournament. Like they could absorb that loss and still get a number one seed. So everything's still right in front of them. It's not like a college football where a loss can devastate your season. It's not, it's not like that at all. They're perfectly fine. And again, all the goals that they had set out for the beginning of the season, they're all still there. They were within uh, range in that last minute. I think they were tied with a minute left in that game in Arizona. I believe, if I remember right, scored the last five points to get that five-point victory. So they were right there with Arizona. One of my concerns with this Blue Devil team, and I mentioned this in uh, my Substack, they had that memorable loss to Tennessee last year in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Duke was a five seed, Tennessee was a four seed, if I remember right. And Tennessee, like, beat them up, right? Filipowski was down a few different times. They were bullied in that game. And they didn't necessarily get bullied in this game against Arizona, but Arizona was the tougher team. Duke was a minus 12 on the boards in this one. That really can't happen consistently for Duke if they want to beat top-level teams. And the interesting thing about this one is Arizona lineup-wise matches up similarly to what Duke puts out on the floor, right? Arizona starts a three-guard lineup just like Duke does. Omar Balo, their big center, 
he only had five boards. He was fifth on Arizona's team in rebounding in this game. So it's not as if size was the issue. There's something else at play here with Duke's inability to be competitive on the boards. And it doesn't look in the early going like that's been addressed. So that's a concern moving forward. My other concern, quite simply, is the play of Tyrese Proctor. In my mind, Proctor is much more a first-round draft pick for the NBA than somebody who's suited for the college game. He's not playing well, and he's not inspiring confidence in me that he's going to play better. He can't shoot. And I don't know if he fits this Duke offense. The way Shire's constructed this offense and the way Duke's played for years, right? You have to be able to shoot from the outside and you're going to get open looks with the way they design their offense. And Proctor flat out can't make them. So I'm concerned about Proctor's play moving forward. He's going to have to step it up big time for Duke to live up to its potential. Someone who has stepped it up so far, I think, is Kyle Filipowski. He had a very good game against Arizona. 25 points, 8 boards, and 3 of 5 from beyond the arc. 2 steals and no turnovers. And one of my concerns about Filipowski coming into the year was his 3-point shooting. He was under 30% last year. But if he kicks that up to somewhere in the range of you know mid to high 30s this year, that's going to be a tremendous boost for Duke's offense overall and will catapult him to you know first-team All-American status. So he had a very good game. He's going to have to find a consistent second scorer on this team, like a, a Robin to him being Batman. I think it has to be Jeremy Roach with the way this team is constructed right now. Roach has started off pretty well. He's shooting at 43% from the beyond the arc. That would be far and away a career high for him. So I think that's the way it'll likely play out throughout the season with Filipowski leading the way and Roach having to be that second guy when games get close just because Proctor really can't shoot. Mitchell's more of a third or fourth option on the offense. He's very good defensively and he fits well in the system, I think, unlike Proctor, where he knows his role and he plays his role quite well, but he's not going to be somebody down the stretch that you're going to rely upon for scoring. The other outstanding question with Duke is what's going on with the freshman? Jared McCain has broken the starting lineup, so he's the third guard in the three-guard set, and he's played fine, but the other top recruits are really not getting many minutes. That's Sean Stewart, Caleb Foster, and TJ Power. Power didn't even see the floor against Arizona. It seems like Caleb Foster is going to be the guy who cracks Shiler's rotation. But I'd like to see more from Sean Stewart. A lot of people were excited about him coming in. And Power is the highly rated or the, the highest rated out of those three. So I don't know what's going on there. Maybe he's just not showing it in practice. But I think they're going to have to dip into this rotation more as the season goes on. They lost to Arizona at home, and all their starters played at least 29 minutes. So they were thinking that they were putting their best lineup out there, and they still couldn't beat the Wildcats at home. So areas of concern for Duke, but overall, I still think they're in pretty good shape. 
if Roach can be a consistent second scorer and if they find something within their freshmen, they're going to be fine. Again, Mitchell's played well. And lastly, we'd like to, uh, to reiterate, we'd like to see Proctor improve drastically. On the Michigan State side, it's obvious what their woes are. They flat out cannot shoot at all. They made one three-pointer in their, I don't know if embarrassing is the right word. Let's just call it surprising, and you can fill in the adjective that is more appropriate. The surprising loss to James Madison at home in overtime when they were one for 20 from three-point land. Well, in their second game, they also only made one three. They were one for 11 in that game. So they've made two threes on the season. So there are a lot of questions for this team. I think this game is coming at kind of the wrong time for Michigan State. If they had, you know, if they had won against James Madison, they still would have fallen in the rankings, probably to around 10 or so. But the fact that they lost really exposed the issues on this team. Who's going to be a consistent scoring threat outside of Tyson Walker? That's my first question. I have no idea who it's going to be. And I don't have confidence in most of this lineup. When you look at the the rotation, Izzo, you know, Tom Izzo likes to play guys early in the year. His rotations tend to get tighter as the season goes on when they get into Big Ten play. But he liberally substitutes early on in the season. And he's doing that again, right? This is This is... Par for the course for Tom Izzo. He's playing 10 guys, double-digit minutes. And it, it it hasn't, to in my mind, helped figure out what the rotation should look like. Right now, the only person averaging double-digit points on the team is Tyson Walker. And he's averaging 24 and a half. One, that's not going to be sustainable throughout the year. And two, I don't think they want it to be. They need other guys to step up and get into double-digit scoring. The next highest on the team is Jaden Nakins and uh, dynamic freshman Cohen Carr. They're at eight and a half each. We really don't like the way these forwards have been playing. Matty Sissoko is not progressing. He's almost regressing. He's such an unwilling offensive player. It's harming Michigan State when they can't shoot from the outside. And Malik Hall is just, I don't know. I feel like he's just not good. And... Uh, in a press conference after that JMU game, Izzo was so mad. He said that he's pleased with the output of one player on his team, and that was Cohen Carr. He wasn't even pleased with Tyson Walker, who basically got them to overtime. It was the only person scoring and the only willing offensive participant in that in the last like 15 minutes for Michigan State. So... Despite these losses, they're still getting like 70, 75 points a game. I know the JMU game was in overtime, but they're still finding like ways to score somehow. You know, their volume's up, but um, I don't know. I You know, there's, there's really nowhere to go but up for Michigan State. I think this is almost a rock bottom kind of situation that they've hit at the very early part of the year. So that's kind of a silver lining. Does their shooting improve enough? to get past Duke in this game? I don't know. What I do know is that both of these teams are playing slower to start the year, and neither team is really shooting all that well. And in an unfamiliar arena, I feel like there could be a long feeling out process at the beginning of this game. And with the lack of offensive firepower from Michigan State, 
and a little bit of inconsistent shooting on the part of Duke. I'm going to go with the under here again at 142. I think this could be a surprisingly uninteresting game to watch. I'm going to watch, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's something like, you know, 30 to 27 at the end of the first half and limps into the mid-60s by the end of the game. Our third game, back to the Gavit games. This is Marquette at Illinois. It's a very interesting early season matchup. The line right now is Illinois minus one and a half. It's juiced to minus 115, and the over-under is 148. The reason, really, that Illinois is favored is because Tyler Kolick's health is in question. So for Marquette, Kolick twisted an ankle. I think it was in the second game they played against Ryder. Because he was in that game, but he played limited minutes. And right as of now, there's no update on his status, whether or not he will play. So what does that mean for Marquette? You know, honestly, I don't know. I'm not sure what Shaka Smart will do rotationally with this team. They could go big. Like if they started, say, Ben Gold off the bench, they could do that. I think they're more inclined to go small. I think what they do is start Sean Jones. He's the sophomore guard. He had an okay game against Ryder. 8.6 assists and 4 boards. My guess is that's what they do. They have the flexibility to do either. I think he probably likes gold coming off the bench for size and uh, replacing a point guard with another guard uh, like a Sean Jones. So that's my guess as to what they do, but I don't think that is for certain. I also think Kolek is playing. I'll put it this way. I don't envision Kolek missing this game against Illinois. Maybe he's limited in his minutes, but there are other games on Marquette's schedule that he can afford to rest, and this is not one of them. So I think that he plays if he is, say, 75%. I think he gives it a go, and uh, it plays where he can, unless the injury is very serious. But the fact that he's questionable, I mean, that's that means that he's questionable to play, right? He's not doubtful. He's just questionable. So I think he plays. On the young season, Marquette is averaging 93.5 points per game. They're shooting 53.5% from the field, and they're shooting 40% from three. We really like what we've seen from Oso Iguodaro so far. We called him out as a player to watch on this team for this year, and so far, he's proving us right. He is a highly efficient scorer around the rim. He's a good rebounder, and he's getting better, and he's excellent on the defensive side. He averaged one and a half blocks last year, and he's on pace for more than that this year. So how will he play against what Illinois can throw at him, I think is a major storyline to watch in this game. We also think that Marquette will be able to find points in this game, but we don't know how many if Kolek doesn't play. On the flip side, Illinois is a very intriguing team. Our total sports 24-7 rankings had them in the top 15 to start the season because we like their size and we like their versatility. I don't know that they've figured out their rotations yet. I think Bryce Underwood is probably still tinkering with their lineup somewhat. 
And he might even do so tonight. He's had Dane Danger, the big forward, come off the bench in the first two games. I wouldn't be surprised if he emerges as a starter by the end of the season. We think he'll come off the bench tonight, but he's a problem on the inside. He's a matchup problem, and his game is pretty unique, we think. He's an excellent rebounder, and he's difficult to get away from the rim. So we'll see how much he plays tonight. He would definitely guard Iguodaro when he's in there. Our main questions for Illinois is, it's kind of similar to Duke, right? We've got Filipowski, who's going to be the Robin to Batman. It's the same thing here with Illinois. They've got Terrence Shannon. He's the Batman. Who's going to be Robin? We, there's a couple options, but I don't know that I love any of them. We've got Quincy Garrier. He's a transfer. He's been a double-digit scorer in the past, but he's trying to figure out his sort of place on this team. He's another example of an inefficient big man. He's 6'8", 220. He takes too many threes. He's got to play inside more. He's very similar to Bryce Hopkins of Providence. It's like, use your strengths. Just stay inside and, you know, work on your two-point efficiency rather than just bombing threes like everybody else does. I, I don't know. It, 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 I just, I don't think that that is where Garrier needs to be, 25 feet from the basket. They've got Coleman Hawkins, who's kind of the same thing. Hawkins is built differently. He's taller and leaner. And I think he's a more versatile player than Garrier. Like, he's a better passer. He's a better facilitator, even though he's taller and leaner. He is not pulling the trigger from three-point range this year, Coleman Hawkins, which is a good thing. So I would like to see that continue for the fighting Illini. Um, they've got senior transfer Marcus Domas, too, from Southern Illinois. He is a volume kind of scorer, or has been at least, when he was at Southern Illinois. He hasn't proven it yet so far with this Illinois squad, but we think he's going to be fine. I think the matchup on the inside will be a crucial factor for this game. I think Illinois' size in general could bother Marquette. Everyone on Illinois' starting lineup is 6'6 or taller, and of course they have danger coming off the bench. The issue is, will the guard play of Marquette be able to sort of outwit the size of Illinois? Can they get past their bigger players? Can they uh, speed up tempo, which I think Marquette will want to do? And who's going to guard Kolek when he plays? They don't have a true point guard. I don't know if they want to put Terrence Shannon on him for potentially being in foul trouble. I'm not sure what the defensive matchup's going to look like. Here's the thing about this game that's particularly interesting to me. This game's in Champaign. I don't think Illinois is going to want to push the pace. I don't think that they can afford to get into a track meet with Marquette. I don't think they have the speed to match with Marquette's guards. I don't think they have the shooting to match with Marquette shooting. If Bryce Underwood, or sorry, if um, Coach Underwood is scheming appropriately, I think, I don't think the play is for Illinois to speed things up. Brad Underwood, I said Bryce. Bryce Underwood's the 
he's the number one high school recruit quarterback out of Detroit. I got my names mixed up there. Brad Underwood. I think they've got to slow this game down in order to win. So I'm going to pick the under yet again. I think 148 is a high total. I think Illinois wants to slow this game down. I can picture it being in the range of 72 to 68 as a final. Our fourth game is back to the Champions Classic. This is the second game. This is supposed to tip at 9.30 again. With these MTE, sometimes they start a little bit later, especially when they're on ESPN. I can picture this starting at like 7.15 and 9.45. So just to be aware, if you're going to watch games, be in for a long night with this one. This pits Kentucky against Kansas. This is minus seven. The over uh, to Kansas, the my the is uh, Kansas favored minus seven, and and uh, excuse me, and the over under one forty seven and a half for this one. The game is in Chicago, as a reminder, and again, second game in the Champions Classic. So let's start with Kentucky. They've been fine so far. They've got their two bye games. They're winning by an average of thirty points. They were limited in what they could do in their second game against Texas A&M Commerce. Adu Thero, who started their first game, was out. He, he was in concussion protocols. I haven't heard anything about him not playing tonight. They moved freshman Rob Dillingham into the starting lineup in this game against Commerce. And it was an interesting move, I thought, by Calipari because... Uh, Dillingham 6-3 and Thero 6-8. I mean, they're both technically guards, but really Calipari went smaller deliberately. So it'll be interesting to see if Thero is back, what they do with Dillingham. Does Dillingham start and Thero assume a bench role, or does Thero go back into the starting lineup? I bet that Dillingham thought he was going to start for Kentucky this year. So this is, to me, a very interesting storyline moving forward. Very interesting. Kentucky has five guys in double figures thus far. Antonio Reeves is leading the way. He's the senior on the team. They also have Trey Mitchell. uh, I don't know what year he is. He's in his 12th year in college, his fourth team. He's a third or fourth on the team in scoring. Um, But Reeves is leading the way, 16 points per game. Here's my issue with Kentucky. You look at their roster. This has been an issue with Kentucky for a few years now, in my mind. Outside of Oscar Shibway right, in the last couple years, it's like all their players are the same, right? They don't have an Oscar Shibway this year, and they, they have all these guys who are like wing players who are, you know, in the range of like 6'5 to 6'8. They're all listed as guards, and they all kind of have the same game, right? Trey Mitchell's a little bit bigger at 6'9, but he shoots from the outside. He's not exactly like a bruiser kind of player. He's a volume player, He's the only listed forward among their regular rotational players. Everyone else is guard. So that's a little bit concerning. So that, to me, begs the question, who's going to cover Hunter Dickinson at 7-1? And that's being, I think, a little generous. I think he's taller than that. And who's going to cover K.J. Adams? Now, Adams is not particularly tall at the forward position at 6'7". They will have guys who can cover him, but his game's so different. He's bigger than most of the guys Kentucky will throw at him. And he plays within the three-point line. So I think he's going to be a matchup problem. Also, Kentucky's going to have to be better from beyond the arc if they want to beat Kansas tonight. 
DJ Wagner shooting 16.7% from three, Rob Dillingham shooting 25%, and as is Justin Edwards. Their only freshman who is shooting consistently from beyond the arc so far is Reed Shepard. So again, small sample size, but you would think these percentages would be higher against the competition that they've played and given the fact that they're winning these games by an average of 30 points. So that's a concern on the Kentucky side as well. On the Kansas side, they have steamrolled their competition, which is no surprise. They're averaging 99 points per game in the first two. But get this. This, this to me, is like the most fascinating stat in all of college basketball so far. And, you know, with it, teams playing two and three games so far this year, there's, there's such small sample sizes to take note of, right? But this stood out. They have one of the best point guards in the country in Dewan Harris. He's averaging one point a game. One. He's still playing his regular minutes, but he is facilitating at a 7.5 assist to turnover ratio. Seven and a half assists and one turnover a game. He's just not shooting. Unbelievable. One point per game for one of the best point guards for arguably the best team in the country. It's crazy. As a team... Due to Harris's facilitation, Kansas is shooting 62.6% from the field and 46.9% from three. They're also making over 80% of their free throws. So they are an offensive juggernaut so far. They've got five guys in double figures. And you would think if you had to name those five, you would start with Dickinson and Adams, then McCuller. And then you might go to Marco Jackson and Nick Timberlake. No. Neither one of them is averaging double figures. Jackson is starting at uh, the other guard position along with uh, Dewan Harris. And Timberlake's coming off the bench. He was a double-digit scorer the last three years at Towson. They're not averaging those 10 points per game. So they're getting additional contributions from uh, Christian Braun's little brother is on the team. And Furphy, the recruit from... Australia is in double digits. So they're getting contributions from all over the place. They're averaging 29 and a half assists in their first two games. They have it all. The pick for this game, and it might be clear where I'm going with this, is Kansas minus seven. I think they win this one handily. I think they win it going away. I think they win by double digits, and I think they do so easily. Our last game to spotlight is the final game tonight of the Gavit games. That's Iowa at Creighton. Creighton is minus 12, and it's weighted minus 112 over at DraftKings. The over-under is 163. So we're anticipating a high-scoring affair in this one. So what do we think of Iowa? Well, the, the funny thing about Iowa, you know, we, we talked about Wisconsin, how the school has an identity of just being slow, methodical, and plotting. Iowa has that for their football team, not for their basketball team. Their basketball team, the, actually their basketball team is kind of like their women's basketball team. They want to go fast and they want to launch a bunch of shots. They're 11 so far in tempo at Ken Palm and they love shooting the three ball. They've got five double digit scores on the season thus far. I'm not sure who the leading score is ultimately going to be on this team. Peyton Sanford has gotten off to a ridiculous start. He's taking eight and a half threes per game and he's shooting 41% from three. So he's taken a huge step up and he's the leading scorer right now. I think when all is said and done and they play better competition and they settle down somewhat, 
I think the Valparaiso transfer, Ben Cricky, might be the leader in scoring for this team. He's a little bit different wherein he doesn't play outside of the three-point range uh, as much as most of the other Iowa players. He's closer to the basket usually. He will step out, but not as frequently as everyone else on Iowa. So uh, I think he could emerge as the top scorer on this team. He's third right now at 15.5 points per game. McCaffrey second. I don't think that's going to last. I don't think McCaffrey is as good a shooter as maybe his reputation uh, is. Like his, he, I think his reputation is um, better than his output. Maybe I'll say that. They are taking care of the basketball thus far. 13 turnovers in two games. Pretty good pretty good stat for them, uh, especially with the volume of offensive possessions that they have. Uh, I don't know how great they are on defense. That's the issue with this Iowa team. And can they keep up their red-hot shooting against Creighton in Omaha? That I'm not sure. Is, I don't know the answer to that. And I don't know who they're going to have defend Kalkbrenner in the paint for Creighton. It'll likely be a combination of a few guys. Sanford and Cricky will probably get their turns. They'll bring in Oscar Freeman off the bench. They'll bring in freshman Laji Dembele off the bench. I think multiple looks is the way to get it done against Kalkbrenner. But we will see. Kalkbrenner hasn't gotten off to the best start for Creighton. But I don't know. I think tonight might be the night. I don't know that Iowa matches up well on the interior against Creighton. I think at other positions, they're probably pretty good. But I think Kalkbrenner might be the difference maker. So let's talk about this Creighton team. McDermott has gone 10 deep in each of their first two games, which we thought that he would do. We look at this Creighton roster, and we don't know that they have the depth. That's one of our biggest questions with the Blue Jays. And we're pleased that Coach McDermott is addressing that early in the season. He's gone 10 deep in the first two games, and they're all getting double-digit minutes thus far. So we approve of that. Uh, They're shooting 58.7% from the field and 45.5% from three. So they are on fire. And again, Kalkbrenner hasn't had his breakout game yet. He's just getting 11 per game, but we know it's there, and we actually think it's going to be tonight. Uh, we're very impressed with the way Baylor Shireman has started the year. You know, we we were a big fan of him coming over from South Dakota State. If you look at the numbers, he actually kind of underwhelmed last year. Like, he was a big reason they got to the Elite Eight, no doubt. He was a big reason for Creighton's success, no doubt. But he was more inefficient than memory might serve you. So far, his numbers are more in tune with what we saw at... South Dakota State versus what he put up last year. So if he continues to make his shots at his current clip, that's a big plus for Creighton. Trey Alexander is off to a red heart start as well. He's only shooting three threes per game. We kind of like that. We think his game could mold into more of like a DeMar DeRozan type where he plays within 20 feet of the basket. But he certainly has the capability to shoot the three-pointer, right? He was 41% last year, and it was higher than that in Big East play. But it's not something that we've seen over the lifespan of his career like we have with Shireman. So we don't know if he is a consistently, you know, if he's consistently going to shoot 40% from three. He might. We just don't know. So 
we'll see with that. But he's making 86% of his two-pointers. So, I mean, he's he's going to get his points. Um, we would just like to see more of them within 20 feet than outside of 25 feet. Stephen Ashworth, he's the transfer from Utah State. He's who they brought over to replace Nemhard, And he's been fine. You know, he's doing his thing. 12 points, three and a half boards, four assists, 60% from three, right where he left off with the Aggies, and basically a seamless transition so far to the Blue Jays. So again, we've got long-term questions on this team with depth. We don't know if they have enough defense either. Um, You know, they're rotational guys, like King especially, I think is pretty good defensively, but they're basically going to play a run-and-gun style throughout the year. Kalkbrenner is very good up and down the floor for a big man. And of course, he's going to erase some shots in the middle. Ashworth is pretty good defensively on the outside. At least he'll get his steals. Alexander gets his steals as well. But consistently, are they in the right position defensively? Or are they more of like a risk-taking kind of defense that can get burned? We kind of think it's a little bit more the latter. We'd like to see more of a consistent defensive output from Creighton this year. So what do we like for tonight? We do like Creighton. We like them at minus 12. We think they have enough defense and enough depth in this one. And we think the Kalkburner matchup is just, it's just problematic for Iowa. We do think this will run up and down. We're not sure about this over under. It is pretty high at 163. So the play we like better is Creighton minus 12. So to summarize, Game one, Wisconsin at Providence. The play we like is under 143 and a half. Duke versus Michigan State. The play we like is under 142. Marquette at Illinois. The play we like is under 148. Kentucky versus Kansas. The play we like is Kansas minus seven. And that's probably our favorite play of the five. And lastly, Iowa at Creighton. The play we like is Creighton minus 12. So that'll do it for this edition of Year Round Madness. Please, again, follow us on X at totalsports underscore 247. Go to our website, totalsports247.podbean.com to check out all of our episodes for all the various podcasts that we produce here. Check out Substack, weekendweekout.com substack.com and please consider subscribing to the newsletter and please remember to rate review subscribe and talk about this podcast spread the word about what it is we're doing here at the network thanks so much for listening this has been year-round madness part of the total sports 24 7 network we'll be back next week with more college basketball coverage